probably the only trouble with me giving announcements is by the time you get to me talking about this, you're thinking, oh, man, I'm sorry I heard this guy, but uh, somehow you got to do with that. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, my, uh, my mother's side of the family lived down in, in central Florida. That's not the pretty part of Florida. Uh, but it, 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 I always loved it as a kid. I loved visiting them just because the, you know, it's such a different place than, than the areas where I had grown up. And, uh, but we used, to, we used to really enjoy, we, about every other year, we'd make the, the trek down to, to Florida and, and uh, spend a couple of weeks uh, or so with, with, my, with my mom's side of the family, my cousins down there. And I remember one year we went down there and uh, we decided one day that we were going to drive to the ocean, to the East Coast. Uh, and uh, uh, dad, we'd never, us kids had never swum in the ocean. My dad had, and he wanted us to have that experience. So so we, it was about two and a half hours. We got in the car early one morning and headed out to the ocean. We got there, and, and my dad loves the water. He, he has always been a strong swimmer, was a lifeguard for a number of years. And, and uh, so we, we, one of the requirements, we all learned how to swim early. I never loved the water. I've, always, I've been nearsighted since I five year old. five years old is when I got my glasses. I could never see that well, you know, and so that, so, but it didn't really matter because, you know, it was one of those, you're going to have fun and, or else type of situation. So, <laughs> so that particular day, dad, my dad's goal was to teach me and uh, my brother Mark, we were the two that were old enough to do this in his mind, how to body surf. There's something else you need to know about this. I don't float. <laughs> now, my dad, my dad for years told me everybody floats. You just got to know how to do it. He tried to demonstrate over and over again how it is to be done. But I got to tell you, there is a certain part of my anatomy that is made out of lead. <laughs> and it sinks. Now, if you don't believe that, when I got married, my wife said to me one time we were in the pool, everybody floats. Everybody, you just, let me show you how to do it. Your dad must not have done it right. No, it just... Some people don't float. That's just the way it is. And so, but anyway, he, so he's going to teach us how to, uh, so I had to swim. You know, that's just the way it was. So he's going to teach us how to body surf. And, and if you've ever done, if you've ever been in the ocean, if you've ever done that, use the board or whatever, you know, you, you move out of weight and you try to catch the wave. And so we're out there and we're kind of practicing. And, and, and typically what happens is, you know, you start feeling more and more confident and you, you want to catch the waves at a place where they're bigger and bigger. And so you end up going out deeper and deeper. And, and there came this point where, you know, we were trying, we saw a really big, what we thought was this enormous wave coming, and so we're pushing out, you know, as fast as we can, trying to catch this wave to ride it in. And, you know, uh, in that process, the, all three of us, because my dad's not really a very tall man. Some of you have met him. He, he was 5'8 uh, at his tallest, and he's going the other way now. And uh, so we got out there, and all of a sudden we were, our feet didn't touch the bottom anymore. And that wave went over, and that's when we kind of realized that we couldn't reach the bottom. And at that same moment, Dad, probably knowing the rest of us, he realized that we were being pulled, at least I felt like it, we were being pulled out by an undertow. So my dad, trying not to be nervous, but feeling the, 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 how quickly that was happening, said to my brother Mark and I, he says, okay, boys, uh, we're in an undertow. We need to get to shore. So start swimming. So we started swimming in. I could see my mom, and she's sitting up on the sand, and, and I see my mom, and I'm watching her, because that's kind of my goal as I'm swimming in, and, and I'm swimming as hard as I can, and Mark is too, and my dad is too, and she's getting smaller and smaller. We're being pulled out to sea uh, by every, everything around us, and, and at one point I see her going like this, and then I see her stand up and go like this, 
And I could tell she's worried. See, I see her heading towards the lifeguard. And then I couldn't see her anymore. I remember we, we were swimming, it seemed like, for eternity. And I remember at one point saying to my dad, I can't go on any longer, Dad. I'm too tired. And my father said to me in a very stern voice, yes, you can keep swimming. That was his voice that said, you better do what I say. And I'm sure there was panic there. It sounded like anger to me, but I'm sure there was some panic there. And Well, you know, by God's grace, uh, the reality was this undertow was pulling us out, but it was always slow pulling us sideways. And actually, if I could have floated, I could have just quit and eventually would have pulled me into the shore, which it did about three miles down shore. We had to, we walked, and my mom, she had no idea. I'm sure she was a panic until she saw us walking up the shore, but it took a while to get back to her. And, but I, I tell that story because it fits in with part of the message that uh, we're, we're in, the, in the book right now, if you're a guest. We were looking at, it was a letter that this guy named Paul, Paul was one of the individuals that knew Jesus when he walked on earth. Now, he wasn't a follower of Jesus when Jesus walked on earth. In fact, he was anything but. He stood in opposition to Jesus. He thought he was this weird guy trying to start this new religion that did not fit in with the religious system that they had set up, a system of laws and rules and, you know, do this or, or this happens to you. And, and uh, really a long ways from the heart of God, but, but it's what, the way they had interpreted it. And so he was in that system, and Jesus was coming and saying things about mercy and grace and forgiveness and God's love, and it just did not fit in their system. And so Paul was, along with his fellow religious leaders, the pastors of that day, actually standing in opposition to Jesus, trying to steer people away from Jesus. And, and uh, so, so that's where he was until he met Jesus after he rose from the dead, because he probably was there when he was hung on the cross. He saw it happen. In fact, it was Paul who organized the first Christian, the first Christ follower that was put to death for his faith, was organized by Paul. He was so opposed to this whole Christian thing. But then he met the resurrected Jesus, and he knew that he had died. He knew that he'd been buried in a grave, and now he saw him standing before him in a physical body, alive, and at that moment, he realized that he had been wrong. His system, his religious idea of what it took of these do's and don'ts and these lists to get to God went right out the window, and he turned the corner. So, so he became one of the greatest leaders of the, that new movement, of, that, of those individuals who were, who were hearing about Jesus Christ and responding to his message of love and hope. And, and so Paul began to go around telling everybody that, and, and he would go into these cities and he would start churches. He'd start groups of people telling them about Jesus and God's love. And, and, and in fact, and here's the message, in case you haven't heard it. The message is, and, and you heard it a few moments ago, moments ago as I was talking, is God, there's not, God loves every one of us. And, you know, sometimes, you know, in our in relationships with other people, we're thir- certain things we keep secret because we think, well, if they knew that about me, they probably wouldn't like me. We can't do that to God. He knows it all. He knows every single secret. He knows the worst of the worst and the best of the best. And, and with knowing all of that, what he says to every individual is, I love you right where you are, just as you are. But I want to be in relationship with you. And, and, and we all, there, there's a verse of the Bible that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
we all have made decisions in our lives that were contrary to God's will for us. That's what sin is. You know, it can come in lots of forms and shapes and life choices, but it's really making decisions that, that God who designed us would say, that is, that's not what I would have for you. And in fact, that's going to bring harm to you. And so we've made those decisions, and because of that, the relationship has been hurt, hurt and God's come, stepped into that and said, I'll take care of that. I'll forgive you of all those things, not only the things in the past, but the present and the future. I want to be in relationship with you if you'll just accept my forgiveness, my gift of forgiveness. Our relationship will be restored. Not only that, I will adopt you as my child. And that, that process will, will start the moment you make that decision on into forever. You and I will be with each other forever. And, and we'll, we'll talk more about that today. So that's his message. And, and so Paul began to share that message everywhere he went. And, and, and after he would go into a town and <coughs> talk to people, people would, would come and they'd accept that gift. And they'd, and they'd step into that relationship with God. And so then he would get them organized and they start and they become a, quote, church. That wasn't what they called themselves, but, uh, but that, they become this group, they, uh, ecclesia, this, this group of, of followers of Jesus. And, and so then after Paul would leave, sometimes he'd write letters back to those towns, giving them instruction, and those letters are, be, are, are word. In fact, most of the New Testament, that second part of the Bible, was written by Paul. And so this is one he wrote back to, to the folks that had become followers of Jesus who lived in the city of Rome. And we've been looking at uh, one section of this letter we call it chapter 6 because uh, that's as men work, as over the years they, they, they copied the Bible, they begin to break it into chapters and verses just to make it easier to understand. So we're in chapter 6, and Paul's been talking to us about a number of things. And, and so that story I told in the beginning, I think Paul would say to, to us, and here's what he's going to, the message he's going to send this morning is, not like my dad, you can and you will keep swimming. Paul would say you have, now keep swimming, because here's, here's the question we run into. Even in when we've accepted that gift God's offered for us, that forgiveness, and, and we know what he said. He said, you know, I've forgiven you past, present, and future. We still struggle with that because <coughs> we know that we still battle sometimes this making those choices that are contrary to God's heart for us. And so then we kind of say, well, I wonder where I stand now, you know. I know yesterday I, I believed that he forgiven me, but, you know, that was before I did. So I wonder where I am. So Paul, as we began this discussion, we actually started back in chapter 5, and Paul made a statement that is an amazing statement, and I, and I want to pick it a piece because we actually started with this verse. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace which we now stand. Now, I want to I grab onto some things because I know we say we believe some of this stuff, but I'm not sure we hear it. So, so let me ask a few questions. When are we going to be justified before God? That, that means declared just. God says forgiven, uh, past, present, and future. So when is that going to happen? What's it say? We have been justified. Uh, some of you are saying, well, I know it was yesterday, but, you know, you don't know what happened last night. And uh, so today, no. This, and this is not, this is an ongoing. We don't see the, the tense. This was written in Greek originally. You don't see the tense, but this is ongoing. 
You have been justified. God has declared you based not on what you did and what I've done or what we will do or, or what I will do. He's based on what Christ, Jesus Christ did on the cross and the fact you accepted that forgiveness. He says, you're justified. Let's go on. Okay, so when are we going to be at peace with God? Because that's, you know, that's what we want. I, I want to know that I'm okay. Me and God, we're okay. When's that going to happen? I'm going to make you say it to me. When's it say it's going to happen? We have. We are in. We're at peace. Quit asking the question, you know. That, you know, that's, that, he, you're, we're there. And again, the same tense there. It's ongoing. You know, you don't have to wake up in the morning. If you accepted that gift, you don't have to wake up and say, <coughs> boy, Lord, man, I want to be at peace with you today. Praying that prayer means that you don't get it. You're at peace with him. Not because you deserve it or I deserve it, but because he gave us that as a gift. And gift, if it's a gift, there is no string attached. There's no, well, I'll give this to you, but you got to do that. That's not the way this works. Okay, one more. Didn't know you were going to get a test today. We've been, Paul's big discussion here is about God's grace. That it's not about us, it's about how gracious God is. So, so when am I going to get to experience that grace? We, are, we now stand. So you see, here's our problem. And this is what Paul came to a couple, couple weeks ago as we looked at it. He said, our problem isn't not, is not what is going on in us at this moment, if you've accepted that gift offer, our problem isn't what we hope will happen, maybe some. Our problem is, our whole problem is we're not thinking right. We're not thinking right. It, it's in the mind. God has, has declared these things, and we're kind of saying, well, I know you said that, God, but, you know, I kind of messed up yesterday. I kind of did this. I kind of did that. And so, yeah. So I need to ask, are we at peace, God? <laughs> yeah, I told you that. Our problem is in our, our thinking, and so Paul is going to continue that. So if you haven't, turn in your Bibles, or if you have a device, or if you need a Bible, hold your hand up, and we'll get one to you. But we're going to go on. We've been working our way through Romans, and we're going to start in verse 8 this morning, because Paul wants to continue this discussion. And we're going to start in verse 8, Romans chapter 6, verse 8, and here's where he starts. He says, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So first of all, I want you to notice, I, I kind of highlighted there, he said, he, and remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, he said, when Christ died on the cross, our sins were put with him, and he died in our place for our sins. Because that's what the Bible says, the, the law of God says that the penalty for sin, for making decisions contrary to the will of God for us, the penalty is separate, that's what death is is death, which means separation. So if I got what I deserved, I should be separated from God forever. And he's saying, no, I took care of that. I paid that penalty for you. So, so, so Paul, again here, he says, our sins died, were hung with Christ on the cross. That's where they end. So when he was put in the grave, they were put in the grave with him. They died. That old man died. And when Christ rose a new life, we rose with him as a new creation. We'll get into more detail of that in a moment. But he says again, he says, we believe. See, there's the problem. Some of us don't believe. We've been told it. 
We just saw Paul declare it again in verse five, that verse in chapter 5. He said it, you know, here's where you stand. You stand in the grace of God now. You, you know, you have been justified now. That's where you are. It's taken care of. And, and, uh, but our problem is not that it has happened or it hasn't happened. It has. But it's up here because we keep doubting. And, and you know, it's, it's really, you know how we are. We, we got it lots of times on a daily basis, you and I have to decide <clears throat> what we believe. Am I going to believe what my heart is telling me at this moment, or am I going to believe what I, this person, what God has told me, whatever the case may be? I'll give you an illustration. I know you, and I, you know that this is true, because some of you have said to yourself, I believe that I need a chocolate sundae today. In fact, some of you are saying it now because I brought it up. You're, I, I, you know what? He is right. I need, I need, this is not a want, this is a need. I need to, to go by Dairy Queen on the way home and, and get a chocolate sundae or a peanut butter parfait at your... You don't need that, but I'm telling you everything about you. Doesn't it say it? My wife and I have this conversation on a regular basis. Uh, this is not in the need category. Oh, yes, it is. It's a need, you know. And, uh, you know, our, our mind, so there are times we have to decide who we believe. And in this situation, Jesus has said, you are at peace with me. You have been justified. I got to decide who I'm going to believe. Am I going to believe the lie that I'm telling myself that, well, yeah, I know I was, but, man, I really messed up. It's not about you. It never was about you. It's not about me. If I had to earn this, it's a done deal. I'm out of the, I'm out of the picture. There is no relationship with God. It, it wasn't something we earned. It's something that God offered as a gift. He says, I love you. My heart is for you. I want you to be in my family. And so with no strings attached, not religion, it's a relationship. I'm saying I want to be in relationship with you. Will you accept my forgiveness? So it's up here. That's where we've got to fight this battle and, and where we struggle with fighting this battle. It's, you know, it's, you remember years ago Reagan did this supply-side e- economics. Uh, well, this is divine-side economics. It's, God says, this is where you stand. I'm declaring it to you. This is where we are in our relationship now. Not because you've earned it, but because you accepted my gift. And so start believing it. Because this constant doubting it leads you in directions in your life that you, you don't need to be going anymore. You're fighting battles you shouldn't be fighting, and it's only because you're not thinking right. You don't believe what I tell you about who you are now. Because you accepted my gift. You know, Paul goes on, he, verse uh, 10, he says, he, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. You know, on the cross, and, we, and there, you know, if you've, if you've had any background in church at all, you know that he's hung on the cross. There came this point where he said, it's finished. Now, if you, if you follow, and a couple years ago, we were looking at the life of Christ some. And as he's leading up to that cross, man, it, it is a, a, a preoccupation. He's constantly start talking about the cross. It's coming. He's trying to get his disciples ready. He's trying to prepare their heart. This is what it's going to be like, and this is why I'm doing it. And, you know, 
and, and, and they kind of got it because when he said, hey, we're going to Jerusalem, they said, no, let's not go there. <laughs> Bad things are going to happen there. But they didn't get the part that, no, I have to because I love you and I want you to be in a relationship. And if I don't die on that cross for your sins, it won't be possible. So, no, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to go on that cross and I'm going to suffer. And, and, but if there came that point on the cross where he said this statement, it's finished. It's over. It's all paid for. And you know, if you go and look after the cross, when he rose from the dead, he didn't talk about the cross anymore. Now later on, some of his disciples did, trying to give context to people as to what God had done and why he did it. But it, was not, it wasn't part of Jesus' conversation anymore. It's finished. But some of us struggle with believing that. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. What the life he lives, he lives to God. And he says, I used to breathe, that's what life means. I used to breathe sin, but now I should breathe God. God you've taken care of what needs to be done. Now here's the problem, though. You know, Paul will say, and he said a little earlier in this letter, he actually says that there's no one who good does good, no, not one. And, and we battle with that because, and I do, I want you to know, it's like, wait a minute, I know lots of good people, but they aren't church people, they aren't. Christians, but they, in fact, I've heard people say, you know, some of my most ethical friends I know are ones that they don't have anything to do with God, and, and you're right, but here's our problem is it, when we make that statement, the comparison we're making is to other people. Uh, there's a thing called the Westminster Catechism or Westminster Confession, and it, and it walks through like key things that the Bible says we should believe about God. And there's one, maybe you've probably heard this statement because it's pretty fa famous, even, even if you have never read through the, that statement. But it, he, it says that, it asks the question, what, what is man, why were, why were humanity, why did God create humanity? What is it that he wants us to do? And, and it answers that question, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I love that second part, to enjoy him forever, you know. <laughs> Is that, you You know, before you knew God, and, and maybe you've had some religious context in your past, was enjoying him forever part of that context? It's so far from, from, from what our conversation is so often in religious circles about God. It's all about, you know, you better do this, you better do that, you better not, you know. And, and it's like, no, he created us to enjoy him forever. But the first part says, the chief end of man is to bring God to glory. So here's the, here's the struggle. When, when, when he talks in the context, and when Paul says there's no one who does good, he's not talking in the context of humanity to humanity. He's saying there's no one that, apart from a relationship with God, that their whole heart and purpose for being is, I just want to bring God, God glory. They, they might say, I, I want to do good things. I want to be a nice person. But that's, that's not the same. And that's why all of us fall short of the glory of God. And, and we're all sinners in that respect because until I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and accept that forgiveness of forgiveness, I didn't think about, I want, well, today I want to bring God glory. And so again, it's, it's, it's these understanding. And so at this point he says, so in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. Here's where you stand. You are a new creation. Now, here's what he does now. He walks through some things, and we're gonna, this is where we're going to end. In this verse, he's saying, 
So first of all, he's back to the same thing. We've got to start thinking right, thinking correctly, because our problem is, you know, where even, even a lot of you, will, we can testify, yes, I've accepted that forgiveness. Yes, I know God adopted me into his family. But man, do I battle. And, you know, so many things haven't changed that probably should change because I know God wouldn't want me to be doing this. And every day it's, you know, in fact, here's my prayer. Every morning I wake up and say, oh, Lord, please don't let me sin today. And, maybe, and I have this pet sin especially. Lord, I did that yesterday. I don't want to do it today, again today. And here's the problem. That's the wrong prayer. That's probably our problem. So, so Paul says, in the same way, count. That word count means start thinking correctly. Our, our, it, this is not a, about sin. It's about living up to who we now are because of God's gift and grace to us. And then secondly, he goes on, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So secondly, he says, Notice there, there's a choice. I, I didn't used to have a choice. Because of what Christ has done in my life, because of that gift by the, that restored relationship that God is now living within me, I have a choice now. I, can, I, I don't have to give in and fall down the same paths that I used to. So I need to start making the choice to say, Lord, I want to please you today. I want to bring you glory. That's the desire of my life. Then he goes on. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So he's saying, thirdly, you've got to choose who you're going to serve. Now, you know, I love that part where he says, he says here's the context. Here's our problem. Here's why we often don't do well here. He says, as those that have been brought from death to life. Here's our problem as Christians, I think. The reason we still battle the battles, the reason we don't seem to have the heart to move past certain things in our life is we don't really understand what God has done on our behalf. You know, I, you've all heard people tell their stories, people that come to Christ and, and their, their past, their Man, they live such a destructive life. And, and you know, some, there's something about those folks because when they understand God's grace and his forgiveness and that he actually loved them, even while they were making all those decisions that were so destructive, that at every all, he loved them every moment of, of those days. Usually when they turn that corner, there's such a dramatic difference in their thinking because they, are, they, they will tell you, I know he took me from death to life because let me tell you I know hell as best as can be experienced hell on earth I was there and God rescued me from that and, and they have that perspective and at least for a while it makes such a dramatic difference and that's a lot of our problem is we don't really comprehend you know we took I we told you before we take our uh, our grandkids when they turn 13 we take them on a trip grandma and grandpa just them and and uh, just, you know, anywhere is within reason, wherever they want to go. And a few years ago, we took our grandson, Ryan, to Yellowstone Park. That's where he wanted to go. He wanted to go camping in Yellowstone. Well, we, we went glamping. Some of you know that's not quite the same. Uh, we were in a tent. We just didn't set it up. We did sleep on cots. And, uh, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was rugged, you know. But, so, but, but, you know, so, and then we're touring Yellowstone. And, and some of you have been there, so you know, we went to this, took Ryan to this place called uh, uh, Grand Canyon of Yellowstone. You see, you, some of you have been there. 
And you look down, looks like thousands of feet down into this precipice. And, and for someone who doesn't love heights, used to, not anymore, man, it made, my knees got a little weak. Even though there was a barrier in front of me, my knees were a little weak just looking down over that. And I said to my grandson, and, and you know, Grandpa, I'm really, I try to kind of stay out of things. Uh, and uh, so, but, but I said to my grandson, I said, Ryan, I said, you need to be careful. Stones are, are loose up near the edge. I want you to stay back. And 13-year-old, it's like Sicka. And so he does this. <laughs> I, I usually don't get angry with my grandkids. I was ticked. He, he got, he, he saw Grandpa's ugly side that moment. Well, why was I so upset? I knew what could happen. Thirteen years old, they don't think of that stuff. Grandpas do. And in fact, the, the very next day, a little five-year-old girl got too close and went off and, and died. He, he says, we don't really comprehend what God has done for us, and that's why it's even a problem. If we really knew, he's taken me from death to life. I'd be so busy celebrating. I would never want to step back into those things that were death. So that's part of the problem as well. And then finally he says, he says, think correctly. He says, choose correctly. He says, serve correctly. You've got to choose, you know. Do I choose the one who's brought me life, or do I keep serving this thing that was death? It was death. And then finally he ends with, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. He says, man, there comes a point when you got to say, here's the deed, Lord. You're in charge. Now, if, if you're on our mailing email list, I want to send you a, a story this week. That is a wonderful story. I read it a number of years ago. It's a short story. It's allegory. Uh, by a guy named uh, Robert <coughs> Boyd Munger, wrote back in 1951. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. It's a cool story. If, you, if you've ever seen, I think it's a Rimbart who, who paved, painted the picture of uh, Jesus standing at the door knocking. I, I don't remember exactly who painted that picture, but it's kind of out of that picture. And he tells a story about this guy that invites Jesus to come into his home, into his life. And when he first invites him in, he walks into the first room, and then, you know, he never noticed before the pictures of the wall in his living room until Jesus was there, and it's like, oh, man, I probably shouldn't have that picture up there. And, but so, so with Jesus, he starts kind of cleaning things up, you know. Jesus wants to get, take a tour of the house. He says, well, okay, let me go, and, and he goes into different rooms, kind of straightens things up before he'll let Jesus see him, and, and then he thinks he has the whole house uh, right, and and, uh, you know, Jesus has been a guest in the house. They've been enjoying each other's company. And, but there's one point where Jesus says, you know, something doesn't smell quite right. And he thinks about it, and he says, uh, yeah. It's, and Jesus says, I think it's coming from that closet over there. But the closet has a padlock on it. And, and, the, and the character in the story gets kind of upset. It's like, you know, Jesus, I've, I, I've, you're my guest. I've let you go anywhere in the house, and you, you need to leave my closet alone. You know, those are just some things that, that are mine, and I don't want anybody else to touch them, and, but the smell gets worse and worse, and finally you realize one day, man, we've got to do something about this. And he says, all right, I can't do that, Lord. I just don't have the strength, but if you'll help me, we'll clean out that closet. So 
a wonderful story. Read it this week because you'll, you'll, it'll touch your hearts. But here's how it ends, and this is where we're ending. Then the thought came to me, said to myself, I've been trying to keep this heart of mine clear for Christ. I start on one room, and no sooner have I cleared that than the other room is dirty. I begin in the second room, and the, and the first room becomes dusty again. I'm, and maybe some of you hear yourself here, I am so tired and weary trying to maintain a clean heart and an obedient life. I am just not up to it. So I venture the question, Lord, is there any chance you would take over the responsibility of the whole house and operate it for me with me just as with with me just as you did that closet? Would you take responsibility to keep my heart what it ought to be and my life where it ought to be? I could see his face light up as he replied, certainly, that's what I came to do cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. That's impossible. And let me do it through you, for you. That's the way. But then he added slowly, no, I'm not the owner of this house. I'm just a guest. I have no authority to proceed since the property is not mine. I saw it in a minute and dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you've been a guest and I've been the host, but from now on, I'm going to be the servant you're going to be the owner and the master and the Lord. And running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took the title deed to the house, describing its assets and liabilities, location and situation and conditions, and I eagerly signed it over to belong to him alone for eternity. Here, I said, here it is, all that I am and have forever. You run the house. I'll just remain with you as a servant and a friend. And he took my life that day. And I can give you my word, there is no better way to live the Christian life. He knows how to keep it in shape. And deep peace settles down on my soul. May Christ settle down and be at home in your heart as Lord of all. See, there it is. He's a guest in too many of our lives. We want him there but then at times we want him to step aside so we can do our thing. Even though those things have led to death in the past, and even though they kn we know that they've caused harm, but yeah, I just want, I just want to hang on to my ownership, just in case. Can't happen. Until you and I are ready to sign the deed. Lord, all I want is to bring you glory. You know, I said we pray wrong. We pray so often, Lord, I don't want to sin. That's not the prayer. Lord, I want to bring you glory. I want my life to point to you. That's what we need to do. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for your word. You know our hearts. You know our battles. In fact, you know they shouldn't be battles. We're, we're fighting these things that we... We just need to let go of. We need to say, Lord, it, it's yours. You have the deed. You're, this is your house. It's not mine anymore. I don't want ownership because when I owned it, it didn't look so good. Lord, there may be some here that have not even accepted your offer yet of forgiveness. I pray that today they'll make that decision, that they will say, Lord, I, I do 
I understand now your son died so that you could forgive me and I want that forgiveness. I accept that gift. Thank you for being my father, adopting me into your family. And for those of us that are still hanging on to those things that cause death, they cause destruction, but we just don't quite want to unlock that closet and let you have it. We're thinking wrong, Lord. Help this be the day that we give you the key. Thank you for loving us so much. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You're the name above all You are worthy of all And my heart will sing how great is our God. You're the name above all names. You are worthy of all names. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next time.